In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, there's a uh, joke that's going around that sort of fits the Orthodox to a T, and it goes like this. How many Orthodox does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is none. We don't change the light bulb. (laughs) It's a funny joke, but it points up a very uh, profound and common conception about the church, which we present to others and to inquirers that look at the faith. Metropolitan Calistus Ware writes, the thing that first strikes a stranger in encountering orthodoxy is usually its air of antiquity, its apparent changelessness. Now, that's certainly very true, particularly when we compare and contrast the Orthodox Church to church bodies that have departed from any real understanding of the existence of the historical Jesus or of his divinity or any understanding of the reality of Christ's resurrection from the dead or of other basic truths of the Christian faith. At the same time, however, it's obviously very true that the Orthodox Church of today is very different from what she was when, in the, when she existed in the first few centuries of her life, the apostolic and sub-apostolic periods. For just one example, the divine liturgies that we celebrate today are very much different from the Eucharistic service that's given in a book called the Didache, which is a second century uh, writing probably from Syria. A question then, which will be addressed now in our ongoing task of equipping the saints, is how do we understand the ch- this change that's occurred in the life of the church in the context of the church's unchanging tradition? How this understanding can be applied in our lives as Orthodox Christians today? Now, the event that the church sets forth for our remembrance today provides us an answer. On this day, we commemorate the Holy First Ecumenical Council, which met in the city of Nicaea in the year 325. Now, this council was convened by the emperor, St. Constantine, to combat the teaching of Arius. As we heard in the epistle, St. Paul was warning the flock that after After his death, wolves would come in to pervert the teachings. Uh, That's what happened with Arius. He taught, or he denied the divinity of Christ and made of him a creature. Now, we all know the outcome of the council. Arius' teaching was condemned. Christ was confirmed to be truly God. And the council drew up the symbol of faith, the creed, which, along with additions made at the Second Ecumenical Council, in Constantinople in 381, we all proclaim during every liturgy. But what is relevant to our question that we are talking about today is just how the First Ecumenical Council safeguarded the Orthodox understanding of Christ as God and his relationship to God the Father. How it did so was by introducing into the life of the church one word, homoousios, 
This is the Greek word which we translate one in essence. Now for us, looking back after 1700 plus years perspective, it's pretty easy to forget just how radical was the council's decision to use this word. First of all, the word was an innovation in that it was completely unscriptural. It did not occur in the Bible at all. Now in the beginning, the council had tried to limit itself only to language used in the scriptures because the Holy Fathers felt, and, and rightly so, that there must be continuity with what God said in the Old Testament and with what the apostles wrote in the Gospels. This was an important point. Just how important it is can be seen from a ruling that St. Constantine's son, Constantius, made, which came years later when the faith that was promulgated at Nicaea was still being discussed and was still in the process of working itself out as the faith of the Orthodox Catholic Church. Now, uh, Constantius said, quote, I do not want words that are not in Scripture, unquote. Now, pretty, pretty blunt there. But it serves to make it very clear that Scripture was important for the fathers of the council. And so to use this word, which is not in Scripture, is a very bold step a very necessary step because for all of its importance this point of keeping the scripture it was a point that the council could not keep to because the Arians could take many passages of scripture and interpret them to support their own views now secondly the word homoousios was radical because in fact it did not originate in the church its origin came from outside it was first used by the Gnostics, and it was also connected with the Manichaeans. The Gnostics were those who particularly de denied the goodness of the material world, or the created order. And Manichaeans were a sect very similar, again, very dualistic. Spirit is good, matter is evil. It was also homoousios was also associated with the condemned, explicitly condemned teachings of Juan Paul of Samosata, who taught an adoptionist Christology. That is, what he said was that Jesus was a man upon whom God the Logos descended and indwelt at his baptism in the Jordan, and only after that was he to be considered Christ and God. So the word was not only unscriptural, but it had a lot, of, a lot of baggage attached to it, which would appear to make it unusable in the life of the church. But these things were known to the fathers at Nicaea, and yet they did use that word. They refined its meaning, but they used the same word. And they did this because they knew this thing, that the church had always lived with the experience that Jesus Christ is God, even if the ways used to express that experience were not entirely unambiguous nor entirely adequate. So we have the truth and the expression of the truth. 
They knew that the truth is unchanging, that Christ is God. But they knew that that unchanging truth needed a new expression so that the church could remain true to itself, true to the tradition she received, and in turn would hand down to future generations. That is what it means to have change in the church. Not that we change the eternal truths of the faith. They're set. But the ways in which those truths are expressed in each and every generation quite possibly need to be renewed so that we can take those truths into ourselves, make them one with us, make ourselves one with God in the truth. That is the meaning of changeless change in the church. Now an image that is often used for the church is that of the body. And if we think of human bodies, you know, we know they grow and they develop. But at the same time, they are still quite obviously the same person, the same body. They develop while remaining true to themselves. Now, what are the expressions of the truth that we have in the church? There are many ways in which the church expresses her unchanging truths. We have, of course, preeminently the symbol of faith, the creed. We have iconography, which expresses in pictorial form the, these truths of the saints, the feasts, the dogmas of the church. And in iconography, particularly, we can discern development of schools of iconography. It's obviously one iconographic tradition, but different schools within that tradition. And these schools and the way they approach iconography, they do change, they do develop over time. The liturgy is another. Now we've already mentioned the fact of how different the liturgy that we celebrate today is from that one which is given in the Didache. And for those who have not read the Didache, uh, certainly this part is certainly well worth looking at because it gives a glimpse into the Eucharistic life of a second century Christian community. It's still the liturgy of the church, but it is the form that it had before the liturgy developed into what we have today and the expressions that we have today. So even in the liturgy, there is room for, for development and change when needed to express Christian truths. Now one such Christian truth is the fact that we, well, we call the liturgy liturgia, the people's work. It's not just the work of the priest, but it's the work of both the priest and the people in synergia, in cooperation. And unfortunately, for a long time, a sense of that was lost, uh, which we are only now rediscovering, first of all, in the efforts to recapture congregational singing, which we all know about because we're working on that here. The, the efforts of the people to contribute to the liturgy 
in that way. But there's another way. And this gets back to what was mentioned a couple weeks ago in the teaching liturgy concerning the Eucharist, the fact that the Eucharist is the center of our Christian life. And the Eucharist is not only, again, not only the sole action of the priest, but is accomplished through the cooperation of the priest and the people. And this is expressed in the liturgy probably most concretely in the Epiclesis, when the priest calls down the Holy Spirit, and if you listen carefully, calls down the Holy Spirit not only on the gifts on the altar, but also on the people here present, so that the gifts may become the real body and blood of Christ, and that we may become the body by participating in them. And so that prayer, now as Father Tom Hopko said, there are no private prayers in the church. Everything is a communal prayer. So that even that prayer of the Epiclesis is not just the prayer of the priest, but it's also the prayer of the people. And the people respond to it with their affirmation, Amen, such that when the priest is calling down the Holy Spirit to make this bread the precious body of our Christ. Now it's not just the priest or the altar servers who respond to amen. Ideally it is all the people because it's all of our prayers, all of our joint work. Make this bread the precious body of thy Christ. Everybody, amen. That which is in this cup, the precious blood of thy Christ, everybody, amen. And then making the change, amen, amen, amen. Because communal, as St. John Chrysostom says, the prayers of the anaphora are communal. And he stresses that, that it is communal. There's distinction, obviously. The priest is the one celebrating. The people are the one affirming there's distinction, but there's no division within the liturgy of the people's work. So this, too, is a place where an expression, a, a new expression, can reflect an ancient and unchanging truth. That is, the fact that all the people of God are one body, participating in one Eucharist, and affirming the coming of the kingdom of God. Amen.